And of all the exciting stories in the Bible, uh, much less the book of Daniel, I think this is probably one of the most exciting stories that we can find in all of Scripture. And we find it right here in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, I've had the honor and the privilege to be able to go to Kenya several times. And on my uh, trips to Kenya, I've been able to go on safari. And um, I'm going to show you a few pictures just to give you an idea. First of all, I did not take these first few. Okay, What I'm trying to do is give you an idea of the size of a lion. Okay, So when you think about how big and imagine those jaws would be over whatever part of your body, mainly your head, that you can imagine. So uh, look at the next picture, and you can really get an idea of how big these animals can get. Because uh, I had the, the honor and privilege to be able to see some lions on safari. This is one that we actually did see. Uh, I think I got this from Lisa this week. Uh, this was what remained of a zebra, I believe. Uh, and you can just see the sure, just the sheer force of not only the power that he's holding on to the animal, but of how he's just ripping it apart. Uh, the next picture is a, a funny story, and I want you to hear this. <laughs> on one trip uh, on our safari adventures, uh, we got stuck in the mud. It, there came a monsoon, and we got stuck in the mud. And Granted, we have to get to the airport, okay? This was one of those trips where we do safari, and after safari, uh, we go to the airport, and we get on a plane, and we leave. So uh, we get stuck in the mud. And one of the most amazing things that happens on this trip of getting stuck in the mud is that our driver says, I need all of you to get out so that I can get the matatu out of the mud. And we're like, bro, we're in the middle of the Masai Mara and you want us to get out of this. Yep, I want you to get out. So we get out of the, the bus. I should have included one of those pictures because it's really funny. We're all standing there posing for a picture like, ah. Uh, and not a half a mile down the road after we get the, the, the bus unstuck, we see this. We see a lioness. She's pregnant. Um, and she's just taking a, a nice stroll. And I'm serious when I tell you it was a half mile later that we saw this animal. Uh, now, this makes her look pretty small, but this is how close she got to the vehicle. And, of course, I got another picture, one more picture that uh, kind of gives you the how big she really was. And, and it's amazing as I sat there and looked at that line, first of all, just to stop and try to take it in while you're trying to capture a picture so that everyone will remember it. But uh, how awestruck you are at the beauty, at the majesty of a lion. And uh, it was really uh, an amazing experience to see that. Now, uh, I told you about those experiences with those felines in my life. Let me tell you about another encounter uh, of a feline uh, that was a part of my family at one time, sort of. Uh, when I was dating my wife, okay, I was dating my wife before we were married. And this is a picture of an evil feline named Shadow, <laughs> which was a very appropriate name for uh, this cat, it, her name was, his name was Shadow. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that this cat was possessed by a demon 
for it. Maybe Satan himself. I don't know. But uh, needless, I know he's not really possessed by a demon. But the cat was mean. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Uh, several times uh, while we were dating, Catherine would go on out-of-town business trips. And she would ask if I would feed her cat while she was away. And of course, I said yes. And uh, so I did that a few times. The cat would hide from me. The cat would hiss at me. Did not like me in any way, shape, or form. And on uh, when we started getting seriously dating, uh, I, took, uh, I took the opportunity to try to become friends with Shadow uh, while she was out of town. Needless to say, I thought I was going to have to get stitches in my arm. That cat scratched me so bad. And... Um, but it became very important that uh, when we became engaged, we had to have some important discussions on our animal situation. Because one, I had a, a dog named Boomer, who was a Jack Russell Terrier. You can see Boomer here. And she had an evil demon-possessed cat. And... Um, My dog loved her more than he loved me, and her cat um, hated my guts. So um, I was pretty sure we had a discussion on, I think that after we are married, if that cat jumps in the bed, it's going to gouge my eyeballs out. And so Catherine decided that she wanted me to be able to see, uh, so... We got rid of Shadow, and uh, life has been a lot better ever since. So why do I tell you that story? And, and my wife told me to be nice when we came in here, because I told her what I was going to open with. She said, you be nice about my cat. I was like, well, it's out of here. All right, so one of the uh, reasons why I say that is because I think I was legitimately afraid of that cat for a little bit. Um, I have to be honest with Landon that uh, in preparing the opening to this tonight, I chased a rabbit trail of funny cat videos of cats chasing dogs and cats chasing humans and cats attacking uh, humans and then, of course, you go into the whole lion. People fall into a zoo and lions attack them. And it was crazy. So um, I was absolutely afraid of that cat. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for Daniel, okay? To be told, you're going to be thrown into a den of lions. And to think about that encounter. Uh, you know, you almost would hope that, I hope this goes quickly, or uh, so many ways that that could take um, uh, take place in that moment. But uh, there are a lot of literal scholars that question the authenticity of this story. Uh, they often think of this story as a folktale. This is something that was made up. Um, but Sinclair Ferguson had this to say about it, and this is in your notes. Says it is, a, it is a sad reflection on the biblical scholarship of the last century that in matters such as these, the Bible has been treated as guilty until proven innocent. The attitude stands in marked contrast to the credibility given to other non-biblical texts in that same period. We need constantly to remind ourselves that no one comes to Scripture with a mind free from faith commitment. 
One will either have faith in Scripture as God's Word, or one's attitude will be one of unbelief. Rejecting Scripture's testimony to its own reliability. God's Word, like God's kingdom, will remain when all the theories that propose its inaccuracies have crumbled into dust. So when we read this story, we can come confidently uh, that it's a real story uh, about a real man, why, uh, how a God supernaturally will close uh, the mouths of real lions uh, so that the nations would know about the God of Daniel. Uh, and as it says in 626, he is the living God, he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. So, so that leads us to the theme of the book of Daniel. And this is also in your notes. The theme of the book of Daniel is without a doubt the sovereignty of God in all things. He is sovereign over the big things like international powers. He is sovereign over the small things. He is sovereign over history. He is sovereign concerning the future. Our God is sovereign. Uh, which leads us to the big idea. Although following the God of Daniel may be costly, he is sovereign and he is able to deliver his people. He is able to deliver his people. His final victory is accomplished through Jesus. So Daniel chapter 6. Point number one is honor the God of Daniel. We're supposed to honor God. Let's start reading in verse 1. Does it please Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over the three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss? Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to his kingdom, to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So the last that we left off last week, we see that a new king is set up, a new king is in control. The Persian rule is being set up. And as we remember through the study of Daniel so far, he's given us a shining example of honoring God and no matter what it may cost you. We see he and his friends face some crazy trials and every time they decide to be uh, remain faithful to God, and in that, God would bless them in those situations. So he was a man with an extraordinary spirit, and that same attitude that we find in King Nebuchadnezzar is the exact same attitude that this new king, King Darius, has. And he shares about Daniel, and he continues to give Daniel a position of authority in his kingdom. Uh, and of course, it was a wise decision on his part. So how? How did Daniel go about doing this? How can he go from one kingdom to the next, a whole new ruler, a whole new empire? How does he get a position of authority? First of all, he walks in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. 
Darius sets people in charge. 120 uh, or so governors for the whole kingdom. And over these small, smaller portions, he appointed three guys to oversee everyone. You know, it seems like government corruption is not a modern day invention. It was something that was a problem even in the Persian Empire. So Darius sought to put people in control that he could trust. People that would be honest. People that would have his back. And that's exactly what Daniel had. And he, and he was one of these three administrators over this. And to no one's surprise, he became distinguished, as the scripture says here, above all the other high officials. This has been a theme. This has been a testimony for Daniel over the last uh, several chapters. This To be an example for God. To be an example for the most high God. And he has thrived in this uh, and this role that he's been given. And everyone notices. Everyone in this new kingdom notices exactly what has happened. And they see that uh, his success because his God is with him. Uh, and due to his walk with God and the work of God in his life. Uh, it's like James chapter 3 uh, says that he was a man who was pos- uh, possessed spiritual wisdom that comes from above. He was a man... That God created him to be. Which led him to a second point here. Serve faithfully. Because of God's role in his life. Because of his walk with God in his life. He was able to serve in whatever capacity that he was doing. He was able to serve faithfully. You know it can get very lonely at the top. You know success can multiply your enemies. And it can multiply your enemies quickly. It can stir up jealousy for people that you might even consider to be your friend. And those who are blessed by the Lord can expect that same kind of treatment. Daniel not only was possessed with an extra, uh, extraordinary spirit, but verse 4, he was trustworthy. No negligence or corruption was found in him. And this would drive his co-workers crazy. They sought to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They only had one small problem. They couldn't find any dirt on him. They could find nothing wrong with this guy. I remember uh, last semester when we were talking about, it may have been two semesters, I'm not sure, but we were talking about heroes of the faith. We were talking about guys who were, Heroes in the Bible, people that we could look up to. And one of the things that we did when we looked at these heroes is we saw the good things in their life and how we can apply those to our lives. But we also looked at the sin in their life and the sin that um, they struggled with and how that can be an example to us as well. If this is what you should not do. And I'm studying through Daniel and I'm going through Daniel and I finally got up. I had read through Daniel three times and I went into to Landon's office. I said, all right, man. I can find no dirt on Daniel. I can't find any sin on this guy. He goes, that's a good point. Because there is some right there at the end. You pay close attention. But you can't find dirt on Daniel. He's very faithful in his walk. He's very dedicated to honoring God with his life. And not only can you not find dirt. uh, These guys can't find any dirt, right? They can't find anything wrong with him. It's the exact same problem that these guys had. You know, that's how we should be in the world today. As a follower of Christ, we should live 
our lives in such a way that people have a difficult time finding fault in us. Now, as I look in the mirror, I'm like, (laughs) I see fault all over the place. But that's how we should live. We should live in such a way that people have a hard time finding fault into us, in us. But that leads us to point number two. Be true to, to the God of Daniel. We're supposed to be true. Even if it may cost us, we're supposed to remain true to God. Let's continue reading in verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. You know, whenever you hear that, someone's trying to butter someone up. Let's see what happens. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. You know, let's just stop there for one second. Just one second. Daniel knew about this. He must have heard that they were talking about this, that they were going to go to the king about this. Daniel did not go to try to persuade him. He did not go to try to stop what they were doing. He knew it was happening. And in verse 10, when he knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions like they didn't remember? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you sign, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. There is a very cool set of scriptures in Ezekiel 14. You can look those up on your own. But it puts Daniel in the same company as Noah and Job in terms of the righteous life they live. And they said he gives a uh, comparing these guys to their righteousness and their faithfulness uh, and their obedience to God and how it might even merit them, uh, you know, righteousness towards God. And so 
What is about to unfold here leaves no doubt uh, to Ezekiel's claim. That these guys can't find anything about Daniel. They can't find any unrighteousness or sin in his life. And we're going to see here that Daniel's faith was not determined on a crisis that happens in his life. It was all or nothing. All the time. It was a consistent walk uh, with God. uh, And people saw that every single day. And when trials pop up, he was ready to face them head on. Because he was walking with the Lord. Because he was walking daily with the Lord. And the decision to go to the lion's den was made up and it was set long before this day ever happened because he had made it up in his mind that I'm going to obey no matter the cost. The cost had already been counted, which is why, uh, first of all, evil men will try to trap you. This is point A here. Evil men will try to trap you. We should expect this in our own lives. Since Genesis chapter 3, the evil one has had God's people in his sights, Uh, There will forever be a war raging between God's people and Satan's. Uh, This continues to play throughout the Old Testament and continues until Jesus returns and makes all things right. Uh, Jesus warned that this would happen. He warned that persecution would come. And before he went to the cross where the serpent is going to strike the hill of the seed, Jesus said the world will hate his followers and persecute us because... The world first hated him. And so we see John 16, You're going to have suffering in the world. 2 Timothy 3, 12. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, I think this is up on the screen. And I think this is possible uh, thinking about the book of Daniel. So let's read this. Uh, starting in verse 12. Dear friends. Do not be surprised at a fiery ordeal that has come on you or to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And Daniel's enemies were highly frustrated at being unable to find any act of corruption in Daniel's life and his service to the the king. And this, uh, he was a man of complete integrity. And uh, so when it came to honor the God of the Persians or to the law of God, they knew that he could not do it. So they came up with the perfect plan. The only way, way to get this guy to mess up, the only way that we can trip him up, is to show loyalty. The only thing he's really good at is showing loyalty to his God, to the Most High God. So that's exactly where we're going to set the trap. And so they do that. Uh, The foreshadowing of Herod and Pilate in executing Jesus uh, should not be overlooked as, as he stands on trial before these men and they find no fault in him. How can we arrest him? How can we keep him? How can we crucify him if we have nothing that he has done wrong? And we will see that they have to come up with false accusations. They have to set a plan in action that will uh, trip him up. And we see that Jesus remained loyal to God. And we're going to see Daniel uh, in the same way remain loyal to God. So 
But here's their brilliant idea. Verse 7. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction to whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Basically, Darius is what they're saying. We want to set you up as God for a month. Not long. Not a big deal. But their goal was to, not to see Daniel arrested. Their goal was to see Daniel dead. And they didn't want him to live through this ordeal. So they, have, they tricked the king into making this, uh, this law that no one could worship anyone but him. And in doing so, even the king cannot go back on this decree when he signs it. So the trap was set. Which leads us to be Godly men will remain faithful no matter what. Godly men will remain faithful no matter what. Daniel was faithful to God. That is all these guys had on him. And that's exactly what they were going to use. Daniel Aiken said this. This is great. Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. We have to be working on our character long before the adversity ever comes. And if we're not doing that, I promise you when those moments of adversity come in our life, we will fail in those moments. The forging took place long before. And Daniel becomes aware of the document and that he's supposed to honor Darius and not his one true God, what would he do? And the thing is, he obeys God rather than man. The same pattern that has been his life from day after day after day before this day is exactly how he's going to continue on. I'm going to go to my upstairs in my room. I'm going to open the window towards Jerusalem, and I'm going to pray because that's what I've done. I want you to notice what Daniel didn't do. He didn't take 30 days off. He didn't decide to close his window for those 30 days and pray and do it in private. He could have done those things. There would have been no sin in that moment to close the windows. But that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to honor God rather than man. So he goes home, like always, and he prays. To God. He got down on his knees, verse 10, prayed three times a day, following days, giving thanks to God like he had always done. We have no idea uh, what Daniel was praying. I kind of uh, took me to Psalm 57, which I really thought was good. We hear, hear the words of David as he is fleeing from Saul. Psalm 57 says this Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send me from heaven and save me. He will put me to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongue are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. They set a net for my steps. 
my soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into, into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For the steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. I like to imagine that Daniel was probably praying something like that. Daniel's enemies see him pray. And he's in the trap. And immediately, verse 11, they bring it to the attention of the king. And just like in the previous chapters, it starts off with demeaning Daniel for who he is and for his character. Daniel, one of these exiles. And this distressed Darius completely. And he tries to come up with a plan to rescue Daniel. A man in which he admired, a man in which he appreciated and respected in his kingdom. But he had signed his own fate. Uh, And after being reminded by the officials, and you can look there in the scripture, four times the decree is mentioned. They keep reminding the king exactly what he had said, exactly what the decree was, and they reminded him that you cannot go back on this. This is a done deal. These guys knew exactly what they were doing. And they knew not even the king could go back on his word. And when he signed it, it was done. So they played the king. And when they played, uh, they played Daniel as well. And because they knew that he would remain faithful to his God. What a witness. I want you to think about that for a second. What a testimony. To know that you can count on a man of God to be a man of God. When you can count on a Christ follower to always do what's right. What an amazing testimony that would be. Which leads us to number three. We should trust the God of Daniel. We should trust the God of Daniel that he is able to deliver us. Let's continue reading in verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of the no- rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, or without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
Verse 24, and the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I am sure that Daniel knew the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in chapter 3. And I'm sure that the words that they said to King Nebuchadnezzar rang in his ears. Our God is able to rescue us from this. But even if he doesn't, let it be known that I will not serve your gods. That we will not serve your gods. So when we trust God, we can first of all rest in God's plan. We can rest in his plan. And much to his regret, the king commanded that Daniel be thrown into the lion's den. And it was probably a pit with an opening at the top. And before he is thrown into the pit, he speaks to Daniel and he says, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And with that, they close the the pit up. They put a rock over it. They even seal it with the king's signet ring. Uh, If that doesn't point you to another time when a rock has rolled over a hole and it's sealed with a signet so that no one could get into it, Uh, We can talk about that afterwards. Um, But Daniel was not putting his hopes in Darius. He was putting his trust in a sovereign God and could rest in that promise. And their plan had worked to perfection. They were finally rid of Daniel. Who could escape this certain death? And as I showed you the pictures earlier, and you think about these hungry lions sitting in this den and uh, how terror-filled he must have been. Or maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was completely at peace that I'm either about to die really quick or God's going to rescue me. I don't know. But Darius did not share in their delight, though. He spent the night fasting. He spends the night sleepless. He knew that he had been played. I'm sure a little bit of anger went through his mind that they had duped him into this. He knew he was losing one of his top guys. But just in the case, Daniel... Uh, I have noticed this God that you've been so faithfully serving, and I sure hope that he can save you. Which leads us to believe in God's power. We can rest in God's plan, but we can believe in God's power. And dawn the next day finally arrives, says the king hurries to the pit, and he cries out to Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? You know, I can only imagine the doubt in the king's voice. I can only imagine that he knows he's not going to hear. But he's holding out a little bit of hope. I've seen this guy. I've seen how uh, faithful he is to his God. I've seen the, the success that God has granted him with. You know what? If anyone's God could save them, it's got to be this guy's God. And he wants to be a part of that. And I love Daniel's answer. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. You think he asked the king to join him down in the pit? All right, here's another question. You think Darius would have gotten down in the pit with him? I doubt it, right? Uh, I don't think he would have joined him. But the text does show us that he did send a few other guys after Daniel was taken out of the uh, the den. Verse 24. 
At the king's command, the men who falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. I went to a, a feline farm outside of Gainesville, Texas. I was attending North Central Texas College at the time, and we went on a, a field trip. And we went to this place where uh, these lions or these felines were that people once had as pets, and they outgrew the house, so they had to get rid of them and take them somewhere. And this feline farm takes them in, and they have these pets. And I remember uh, seeing this lion at this in, in, in this cage one time, and he is throwing this bowling ball around like it's a toy, you know, just a little stuffed toy. I said, "Do they? Do you give them bowling balls often?" He goes, "It's amazing. We have this deal with the bowling alley." And they will give us, any time a bowling ball gets a chip or a crack, they give them to us. And I said, well, why do they keep giving you more? He goes, because that one will be gone tomorrow. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? He says, they will crush that bowling ball. And they literally, with the power of their jaws, can crush these bowling balls. And he says, all that's left is these little pebbles. He goes, they're gone. I said, okay. And they're sitting there for a while, and they throw them this deer shoulder. These hunters will bring in... Uh, deer shoulders, and I said, and how's that? He goes, it's all gone. There's nothing left. They don't just eat the meat and the bones are left. No, it's all gone. That's pretty impressive. Imagine being thrown into a pit of lions. And when it says, crushed all their bones, it literally means that. And Sinclair Ferguson said this, in a fallen world, there is a somber side to the salvation of God's people. The deliverance of Eve's seed is always accompanied by the bruising of the head of the serpent. Christ delivers those who were subject to a lifelong fear of death by destroying the one who had the power of death. The dark side of Daniel's deliverance is the judgment that falls on those who sought to destroy the kingdom of God. They and their entire families, even wives and children, were cast into the den of lions and immediately attacked and devoured. It says, Herodotus informs us that such punishment of entire families was meted out of according to Persian law. It was a terrible end. Their gods were unable to deliver them from the lions, whereas God's, Daniel's God had delivered him. The one who was in Daniel was stronger than the one who was in the world. And that leads us to our last point. Number four, recognize the God of Daniel's plan. We need to recognize God's plan. In chapters 2, chapters 3, and chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar praises the God of Daniel increasingly along the way. And in chapter 5, there was no praise from Belshazzar. Uh, who had already passed the point of no return. And here Darius is going to bring the entire theme of the book uh, to this point. Uh, it's a beautiful summary of all the previous chapters. Uh, chapters 1 through 6, Darius is going to put a beautiful bow on it. And not only is it going to put a bow for the p previous six chapters, it's going to point us straight into 
not only the rest of the book of Daniel, but into uh, the rest of the the Bible entirely. So uh, let's keep reading. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And that uh, leads us to... The first point, God can always can cause unbelievers to acknowledge his greatness. As we've seen in the previous chapters, as we see in this chapter, as we see throughout scripture, God can cause unbelievers to acknowledge his greatness. Darius has clearly been impacted by God delivering Daniel. And in this moment, this unbelieving ruler writes to all the nations and peoples of every language in the, all the earth, the king starts with a warning. You must fear and have reverence for the God of Daniel. It's a stern warning. He's telling these guys, listen, you better fear him because he has the power. What a declaration. And it serves two purposes. First, it recognized the greatness of the God of Daniel over his would-be rivals. Uh, it's just showing God to be number one in, in that aspect. But two, it also serves as a cancellation of the previous command to worship Darius as God. Darius is pretty much saying, you know that last decree that I just came up with? Forget it. Here's the new decree that I make. You must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And once again, we see the truth in Proverbs 21.1. In the Lord's hand... The king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. I love that verse. A king's heart is nothing but a stream of water in God's hands. He's going to make it go where he wishes. He's going to make him do what he wishes. And we see here that Darius is a changed man because of it. Which leads us to point B. God can cause unbelievers to proclaim his glory. Darius will go into the very nature of God, into the very nature of who God is, and proclaim his greatness among the nations. Once again, the most powerful man in the world, God is using him for his own will. And the decree went out that said this. He is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And once again, God honors his faithful servant. And just as he had blessed and honored Daniel under the Babylonians uh, and under Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, he does so again under the Medo-Persians and Darius. So it's amazing. We see James uh, chapter 410. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We see it right here in the book of Daniel several times where Daniel humbled himself before God, was faithful in his obedience to God, and it caused God to exalt him among the nations. So that's Daniel chapter 6. 
How does that point us to Jesus? I've mentioned several instances where this chapter will point us to Jesus, how we see these, um, how it points us to Jesus in different stories. And we see the tomb, we see uh, how he was obedient to the Father. But throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, God uses um, certain points of people to point us to a deliverer, to point us to a rescuer, to point us to the fulfillment of the promise we find in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and offspring, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we talked about this on this past Sunday and how events in time were used to point us to God and his sovereign plan and how that's working out in us today, ultimately pointing us to a future king that will reign forever. Uh, and sometimes God uses uh, the Passover and Exodus to point us to Christ and how he's going to fulfill that. Sometimes he talks about the institution of sacraments or the sacrificial system uh, to point us towards that. And other times he uses individual people to point us to Jesus. So let's look at a few of them. Uh, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, a much tougher garden, and his obedience is paid, uh, was paid forward to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, through innocently, in, who though innocently slain, has blood uh, that cried out, not for condemnation, but for forgiveness. He's the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave the comfort of heaven in the presence of his father. He's the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by the father on the mountain, but was truly sacrificed for all. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice that we deserved. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betray him. He's the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap before between the people and God, and he makes a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes and saves his friends. He's the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to help. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost his heavenly one. Who didn't say, if I perish, I perish. But he said, when I perish, I perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. And finally, Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Having been lowered into the lion's den of death, emerges early the next morning alive and blameless before the Father. God saved Jesus. From the mouth of the lions, from the mouth of the lions of death, and we find out through his glorious resurrection, he is the real Passover lamb, he is the true temple, he is the true prophet, he is the true priest, he is the true king, a true sacrifice, the very resurrected king that we celebrated this past Sunday, and hopefully that we celebrate every single day of our lives. 